Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Well, the NFL season is going strong, and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. I had a good week last week. This week, I'm taking the Washington Commanders, giving two points over the New York Giants. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code MANIX. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code MANIX only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, licensed partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario, Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. This is Three Points with Chris Mannix, where we tackle the three biggest topics in the NBA this week. Subscribe to the volume feed on AMP. Subscribe to my feed on AMP as well. Speaking of other volume sports podcasts, my guest this week is Jason Timp, the host of Hoops Tonight on the Volume Sports Network. Got to listen to Jason, I think, virtually every day, if not every day, almost every day during the NBA season, breaking down the action uh, from that night, taking on all the biggest topics in the NBA that day. So, Jason, good to have you here on this show. And I think it's a prerequisite to start every NBA-centric show with James Harden because (laughs) I've been watching a lot of NBA-centric TV, whether on NBA TV or ESPN, listening to a lot of NBA podcasts, and it feels like every one of them over the last week, has begun or made the focal point 
James Harden and what is going to happen to James Harden in Philadelphia, which is fair game because this is a continually evolving story. And the latest involving James Harden is that Harden has no showed the Sixers practice over the last couple of days. We're recording this on Thursday. He was not at practice uh, over the last couple of days. Um, And his status for Friday's game, his status for the regular season remains completely unknown. Most people listening will know this, but just for context, James Harden has one year left on his contract in Philadelphia. He has asked for a trade in large part because he doesn't like Daryl Morey anymore, and he wants to trade specifically to the L.A. Clippers. Right now, the uh, Sixers have shown a willingness to trade James Harden, but they are going to do it on their own terms. They're either going to get back a player of near or comparable value, or they're going to get back draft assets or uh, young players that they can then flip for a player of equal or comparable value. So, Jason, that is the backdrop of all this. So where we stand right now, just days before the start of the NBA season, what is the best play right now? What is the smart move for the Philadelphia 76ers as it pertains to James Harden? Yeah, I don't understand the situation for really any of the parties involved. Like from James's perspective, it's a much better basketball fit in Philly. They desperately need someone that can be that pick and roll playmaker for them, especially setting up Embiid with those ISOs right around the foul line and just kind of getting him into his spots in general. He also kind of had some impact as a spot up player last year during the postseason. I mean, obviously his on ball stuff has tanked in the, uh, I think he shot something crazy like 35% at the rim last year and certainly did some damage to his value. But from a basketball perspective, I don't really see the fit with the Clippers. And I just did my uh, season preview for the Clippers and then just, I just did a breakdown of their kind of dress rehearsal the other night and they look pretty good with Terrence Mann and, and with Russell Westbrook with with Kawhi and Paul George and I don't really understand what they're looking at there as a need especially when you already have Russell Westbrook there who at this point like especially with the the limitations that James showed last year in the postseason is not that much of a downgrade and is arguably better with what he brings athletically I would say Russ was a better playoff player last year in his very small burst than James Harden was and then from the Philly perspective If you really look at it, um, I don't see any universe where James is going to bring back a star player. So if he's going to be a malcontent, if he clearly doesn't have any intention to participate with the team at this point, at what point are you better off targeting a role player centric return and then lean more into Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid for on-ball creation. I Again, all three parties I don't really understand. For, I'm not as well-connected as you, Chris, but from what I understand, James Harden doesn't really have an agent from the standpoint of like a guy who's really well-versed in the way these things work. I don't understand why you would skip media day, but then show up a couple days late and then suddenly not show again. I, if I had to guess, it has to do with I'm assuming trying to make sure he gets paid because I think they're calling it like a personal issue, but situation does not have a agent, at least not in the traditional sense of the word. One of the power agents that are out there that usually represent a player of his caliber, and I think that's been a variable in all this. I mean, this has been bungled really since the very beginning. Like going over to China, which is a hotspot for Daryl Morey uh, because of what he said about Hong Kong years ago and making his declaration that he doesn't want to be a 76er there. I I didn't feel like that was some kind of masterstroke. And then his variety of different holdouts 
you know, missing the first two days of media day uh, of the, the Sixers preseason, uh, which included media day, really only accomplished forcing your teammate to comment on you. It didn't really, I mean, Daryl had to comment on it as well, but Daryl in, in getting the weeds on this all day long, he does radio interviews about this stuff. Like he just doesn't care. Um, you know, having your teammates do it, uh, I thought was, was a bad move. Then he shows up to camp and, you know, for like a week and looks like he's going to be part of the team, uh, working with the coaching staff, talking about playing on Friday night. And as of Thursday afternoon, he's effectively a wall. Uh, from this team. Uh, so I, I think this has been bungled from the very beginning. I do think, though, the Sixers are doing the right thing by holding their ground because they don't know what other options could be out there for them in the coming months. Uh, if the Damian Lillard situation taught us anything, it's that the first offer is not going to be the best offer. You go back to July when the Blazers had all that pressure on them. You know, it was the offseason, but still the pressure was kind of white hot in that moment. Dame wanted to trade. He made it clear he wanted to go to Miami. Everyone said the Blazers had to do right by Damian Lillard. They didn't. They waited, and then they got a better deal. If you're Philadelphia, you're looking at what happened with Damian Lillard and saying, all right, right now, the Clark for James Harden. But that may not be the case by, say, Thanksgiving. What if the Miami Heat get off to an awful start? Uh, you know, in the season, which is not, you know, outside of the realm of possibility. That's not a very good team uh, in totality down there uh, in Miami. What if they turn around and say, all right, we got to do something. Here's Kyle Lowry and two first round picks, or here's Tyler Hero, who's not happy here and one first round pick. What if they're able to do that? I think the possibility of that being out there is enough for Philadelphia to deal with the uncomfortableness of this hardened situation for at least a few more weeks. Granted, there is a risk. I mean, God knows what Joel Embiid is thinking. And that's probably the biggest part of all this. Like Joel Embiid is probably sitting back there going, do I really want to be part of this circus? Do I really want to be a 76er long-term? That is a big risk. But so isn't doing a mediocre deal for James Harden that only gets them one probably bad first-round pick and some combination of Marcus Morris and Robert Covington and draft filler. Uh, do you think there's value to that, to holding on to James Harden and until you see what else is out there? Yeah, well, it's one of those things where for, specifically for Daryl Morey, he's won this battle before. I I remember the, all of the narratives surrounding Ben Simmons in that training camp. Was that, was that two years ago now? I think it was two years It feels years ago. like it's either six months or six years. I don't know. Time <laughs> yeah. is a flat circle. Exactly. But like, I remember a lot of us being like, what is he holding out for? Like, what are you going to get for Ben Simmons? And then everything just kind of materialized with the James Harden situation. Then it kind of felt like he hit a home run of all things considered in that circumstance. And so I understand why he would feel as though this could break a certain type of way for him. I also agree with you as it pertains to the Clippers package, definitely not being the right direction for them to go, especially when you look at Tobias Harris and and uh, uh, PJ Tucker and now with Kelly Oubre in the picture, they don't really need a bunch of other lesser forwards to come off the bench. What they need is they need point of attack defense. They need guys that can uh, guard the other team's best guard, especially in an Eastern conference where you're going to need a body that you can put on a Drew Holiday or on a, a Derek White or on a on a Damian Lillard. I would be looking for an upgrade in the backcourt if that was the case. I, I love the Miami Heat as an option. And I, the way you put it from the standpoint of it requiring a tough start, I think that's like a, an absolute necessity 
for that deal to even materialize just from the standpoint of the horrible personality fit between him and and everything about the Miami Heat organization. But I actually kind of love the basketball fit. One, Spolstra has a history of converting you know, limited defensive players into guys that can fulfill a role within his defensive scheme. We saw him do a decent job with Kevin Love. We've seen him do it with their guards and wings. So like from that standpoint, I like the way that he could probably get the most out of James Harden at this point. And in that specific system, they wouldn't need him to do very much in terms of 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 high level shot creation. It's more just eating regular season innings. And here's the thing: we could talk just Harden all day long and what his playoff shortcomings are. I actually think he's still one of the top twenties in play. Just of just the eighty-two, he's still one of those guys. And there's a lot of value there, especially for a team like Miami. But I agree with you that patience is the right strategy. I just think Daryl Morey might have to consider targeting a role player centric package. I'm not sure that a star is going to come available that he could target with that kind of pick. Cause like if you're Chicago, do you want the Harden for Zach Levine? Of course not. Like what, what does that do for you? You know what I mean? So like, I, I don't know if, that if you're, if guy. you're Philadelphia, I don't think you want Zach Levine either. I mean, Zach Levine's knee still terrifies me, you know, long-term with that contract. I don't know if I Ex- want, yeah, <laughs> feel the same way for Philadelphia. Exactly. So like I, 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 I'm with holding out as the right strategy. Uh, you can't just panic and make the bad trade. I wouldn't, I, if I was Daryl, I wouldn't give a damn about sending him to the Clippers or whatever his preferable choice is. Like you send him where you get the best package. Right. Um, but I just wish, I wish everybody, I wish the cooler heads would prevail. Cause I do actually believe James is the right place for James right now is Philly. In my opinion, genuinely, I feel like it was a good fit. I, I, I like, I think there are some, You know what's funny? I really do think that the James Harden fiasco in the playoffs last year outside of those two games, because obviously he had the two great games against Boston, but he was atrocious the rest of the time. I think that everybody got off the scent of how bad Embiid was in that playoff run. Oh, yeah. And, And really, that was what held them back, was that he was looking at Al Horford in fourth quarters on face ups and he was scared. Like that, that's what really went wrong in the playoff run last year. And so I, I wish cooler heads would prevail, but it feels like that's a loss. It's not like they're going to fire Dale Moore, Daryl Moore. It's not like James Harden's going to come back, you know, have a come to Jesus moment. So I don't, I don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah. And you're right about the, the, you know, t- taking off the scent of Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid, what was it? Game six, didn't touch the ball for the final six minutes of the fourth quarter. Some of that's on you, man. Like some yeah. of that's on you. You've got to go demand the ball, get the ball. And go make plays against a 37-year-old Al Horford. Like you got to do it. Um, as far as the Clippers go, uh, see, I, I take a different approach. I, I do think the Clippers should aggressively go after James Harden, in part because, yeah, they look great right now. I saw them play against Denver on Tuesday. I went to the game, and you know, Kawhi, Paul George, these guys are defending. They're playing their butts off. Uh, they've got a good mix of talent around them. Zubac is a good rebounder. A lot of good role players uh, on that team. Um, I, I don't, I can't, I can't get past this idea that Terrence Mann is holding up this deal. Like, I just can't get past it. Terrence Mann is a nice player, but he's four years in, he's averaged double digits once. Uh, he's a pretty good three-point shooter. He shot like 38, 39% from three this past season. He's a decent rebounder for his position. He's young, he's active. I get all that. But if Terrence Mann is what's holding up this deal. If you could just plug Terrence Mann in and give up a first-round pick and a pick swap, which is what was reported by The Athletic this week, if that's the case, I, I just do it if you're the Clippers. I know James Harden is not the perfect fit. The guy the Clippers really wanted was Drew Holiday. Like, in the Clippers' 
front office in their coaching room. Like they were envisioning Drew Holiday, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard just throttling the perimeter of guys defensively, just being great on that uh, that side of the floor. But if you just have to give up Terrence Mann, are we? Is there a possibility we're overrating Terrence Mann in this particular situation? Because as nice as he is as a player, he's not a great player, and I don't know if he's ever going to get there. So. I 100% agree with you from the standpoint of Terrence Mann being a tiny bit overrated in this discussion from the standpoint of like, I I, I think Bruce Brown like single-handedly doubled Terrence Mann's trade value because of that like kind of undersized wing who's super strong and athletic who can be a force on the perimeter on both ends, like not just at the point of attack, but also like semi-transition pushes and slashing and stuff like that. Like I think people envision Terrence Mann as like the next version of that Bruce Brown playoff performer. But at the end of the day, like I, I think it, I think it has less to do with whether or not that's fair for the deal. Cause I agree with you. Like if, if I, if my team needs James Harden and all I have to do is give up Terrence Mann, I'm with you, but I just don't necessarily understand the James Harden fit with the Clippers. I think there's a little bit of diminishing returns there. Like what they needed was rim pressure and playmaking, but Russ kind of brings that. Now there's the question of whether or not Russ can be on the floor all the time. And that's a completely there's fair a big question. <laughs> that's a big question in the postseason, especially when teams start to create kind of a shell in the paint and start to back off. And he's going to have to prove he can make shots at the very least. James Harden can make shots at least, you know, he's shown he can't. Yeah, and, and one of his biggest moments in last year's playoff run was a double team of Joel Embiid in a corner three that won a game, you know? So, like, I I, I totally am with you there. I guess I, I, I see the upside. I do. But, like, I can see why the Clippers are like, hmm, would I rather have my group with Terrence Mann and just be this fierce defensive team and I've got enough shot creation? Or do I want to bring in this kind of vagabond-esque weirdo into my franchise that could cause all these problems? And I, you would know better than me from the standpoint of, of uh, connections around the league. Do they do the Clippers really want James or are they kind of like, eh, we'd have him if it was cheap. No, I think they want him. I, I think they want him. And you know, whether it's James Harden or Malcolm Brogdon, I think they get somebody, you know, Brogdon, they might wait on to see if he's fully healthy to see, uh, you know, what he looks like in the first few weeks of the season. But I think one way or the other, they're going to go get somebody to be a point guard. Like, you know, Westbrook, Terrence Mann, Bones Highland, good players, but all the guys I named, I think they believe are just better fits. With that mm. team. And you need, look, and again, I go back to Harden. Harden, you know, for all the criticism about his game, he did evolve while he was in Philadelphia. He was much more unselfish in Philadelphia. I mean, leading the NBA assists is not nothing. I think having him as a playmaker uh, around Kawhi Leonard and Paul George uh, is something the Clippers would value. Again, they wanted Drew Holiday. I think that was the guy that they were really fixated on. I think they were really disappointed to not be able to get him. But the next guy on their list, I think, is James Harden. I think they're going to do whatever they can uh, to try to get him. Let's keep it on the Clippers for a moment. Keep it on Los Angeles uh, for a moment. The battle for LA uh, is a lot more interesting at the moment because I think both the Clippers and the Lakers can go into this season believing that they can win a championship. The Lakers brought the band back, made a few minor tweaks around the fringes with some of the role players. The Clippers, they're healthy for now, which is always the key. And if they can stay healthy, their numbers over the last four years with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in the lineup are really impressive. Regular season, and postseason. So if you had to bet on one of these two LA teams being at least the team to come out of the West, which one would you take? I lean Lakers 
it, it's close though. I mean, here's the thing with the Clippers. We were on three consecutive seasons where they can't get their stars through a playoff run. Uh, now the obvious counterpoint there is like, well, what happened in two of those three? The same thing happened to LeBron and AD. So like, obviously there's injury risk on both ends. I do think the Lakers have a little bit more ability to weather losses uh, uh, of loss of games from their stars. You know, I think the Laker offseason was a little overrated as it pertains to their ceiling. Like they didn't fix any of the specific issues that got them beat against Denver. But I think it's underrated within the context of the regular season. They brought in athleticism. They brought in youth. They brought in guys that can eat innings in the regular season. I thought a great example of that was when they, uh, when D'Angelo, without Austin, without LeBron or AD, they kind of played really well against the Kings a few games ago. And like you can see now that they've got functional lineup groupings at every position, which is something they didn't have in the past when, when Russ was there. And so I think they're just going to be able to take a nice, easy approach to the regular season. And if LeBron and AD both play, 55, 60 games. I still think they're going to be a top six seed. I don't think they're going to be in the play in this year. And then from there, this is a team that's got a little bit more continuity, a little bit more of an identity on the defensive end of the floor. I think they're a little bit better. That said, like if I was ranking players in a vacuum guaranteeing health, I think Kawhi would be probably fifth for me. I think I'd have it. I think I'd have Jokic. I think I'd have either Giannis or Steph at two, three. I think I'd have Luke at four and then I'd have Kawhi right there. So like they, it's one of those things where like the, the Clippers have become the butt of the joke, but if things break right and they're in the conference finals and they're playing against your favorite team, like they got just as good a chance to win as any other of these top tier contenders. So like I, I take them dead serious. It's just, I, I just feel like the Lakers have a, have more pathways to victory in this case. Yeah, I think that's well put, and that's kind of the direction I'm leaning as well. If you could guarantee me that the Clippers and their stars specifically with Kawhi and Paul George would play 60 to 70 games during the regular season and be full strength during the playoffs, I'd pick the Clippers. Uh, I like their mix enough, and I like those two guys especially. But who's guaranteeing that? I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. This is four years running with Kawhi and Paul George where – you know, they've played like I wrote the number this past week. I'm blanking on the top of my head, but it's something like 30, 40 percent of the regular season games and 65 percent of the playoff games. Uh, they're cons- when, when the season ended this past year, after they played 38 games together in the regular season, neither Paul George or Kawhi Leonard was on the floor when they lost the Suns in the first round. We're expecting that to change as these two guys hit their mid 30s. I, I don't I don't know how you can just kind of blindly believe that. So. Because I'm anticipating something going drastically wrong in Los Angeles, I'm going to lean towards the Lakers. And it's a lot of what you said there, the pathways to victory. I loved Rob Palenka's decision to kind of emphasize continuity, emphasize bringing back the guys that he had. You look at Austin Reeves' numbers after Russell Westbrook left that team. He's averaged like 18 points per game after that. He took off. There's no reason to believe that Austin Reeves can't be that guy for a full season. He's just only going to get better uh, as a player. I love Rui Hachimura. Spending all offseason attaching himself to LeBron James. I love that. Like if you're a if you're like a six eight-ish muscular small forward, is there anybody else you'd want to attach yourself to more than the greatest six eight muscular small forward of all time? I love that decision. I think he's gonna get better during the season. D'Angelo Russell kind of is what he is, right? Like he's talking defense, but He's talking like he wants to be Derek White. I, I don't, I'm not banking on him turning into a Derek White like defender, but look, he's fine. I think he's a top half of the NBA point guard, top 20 at worst. I think he's okay uh, in that spot. And the big reason is I think Anthony Davis is going to have a big year. I mean, this was one of the first years in a long time 
that Anthony Davis could go into an offseason not dealing with you know a nagging injury or not needing to have surgery. He only had to work on his body and his game. And what I've seen from him during this preseason is a guy that you know looks like he spent the offseason working on his game, looks like he spent the offseason working on his body. You talk to scouts and you don't even have to talk to scouts, just kind of look at it. He was heavy last year. He was not the guy that we saw during his prime years in New Orleans. He looks a lot better in training camp this year. And I think that's going to lead to Anthony Davis having a monster year, which is only going to take even more pressure off of LeBron James. It's not going to make him need to be a 28, 29 point per game score. It's not going to make him need to be the triple double guy who does it on both ends. I think this is the year Anthony Davis kind of slides over and takes that number one player mantle away from LeBron and allows LeBron to do other things. So I, I guess the question would be, what was the biggest concern for you about the Lakers? If we're both picking the Lakers to be the better of these two teams. What's the biggest concern for you about the Lakers? The biggest concern I have with this team is perimeter defense. Uh, Jamal Murray absolutely killed them. Now, Dennis Schroeder was a good perimeter defender, but Dennis Schroeder has a little bit of a limitation when it comes to bigger guards that can kind of body him and get, uh, get to spots where they can shoot over the top. Now, uh, like again, like D'Angelo Russell legitimately looks better in preseason. Clearly, he got embarrassed by Bruce Brown and took it personally. But Derek White is shooting for the moon, man. And that is that is that is a, a, a pie in the sky. I, yeah, I like I was I, I saw everybody complaining on uh, NBA rank. I uh, I randomly after the Drew Holiday trade just on, on the spot was like, hmm, where would I rank Derek White in the league? And I think he's like a top 50 player. Like I think Derek White's awesome. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like I, I don't really see that as a viable uh, a comparison, but like the, the problem is, is their best perimeter defenders are not starter caliber players. So like you've got Jared Vanderbilt and, and I really like the Torian Prince acquisition because he actually slots better with the starters than both Jared or, or Rui does. But like Rui, they want to play him alongside LeBron and AD. But the problem is, is Rui's a four on both ends of the floor, right? Like he's, he can't navigate screens. He can't chase guys around on the perimeter. Jared Vanderbilt can defend like a three, but he offensively is like a four and maybe even like a five, you know? So like he can't really do much with the starters offensively. But the, so like your your best perimeter defender, Jared Vanderbilt, has to come off the bench. You know, Gabe Vincent, good perimeter defender, but not a great one. It has that same size issue that you see with Dennis Schroeder. So like there's been a lot of talk about like Kyrie and other big names that the Lakers could target. But like, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point during the season they took you know, like Rui's contract and and uh, and 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 Delos and tried to target just an outstanding like three and D perimeter defender guy because like the shot creation piece with Austin and LeBron, especially if LeBron and AD both make improvements as jump shooters, I'm just not sure that they necessarily need as much of that as they do a like a what, who's Alex Crusoe for this team the way that he was in 2020, the guy that just in a partnership and pick and roll with Anthony Davis made them devastating. They just don't have that right now. And so that's the biggest weakness. But the only other one I'd point to is the jump shooting. AD has shot the lights out in preseason, but it's preseason. LeBron is, it looks more or less like the jump shooter he was last year. So we'll see. But if those two make, you know, strides as jump shooters back to where they were in 2020, that's another big ceiling raiser for them. Yeah, perimeter defense is a good point. That's going to be a problem because of the guys they're going to have to go through come playoff time. The guys yep. in Golden State, the guys in Sacramento, the guys in Denver, um, you know, Phoenix, their stars are a little bit bigger, but 
they've got Booker and Brand, uh, Bradley Beal as well. It's 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 going to be a handful. They're going to have to get creative defensively. And Anthony Davis got this kind of brings it back to Davis. He's got to do a lot of work defensively, mm-hmm. you know, to clean up uh, some of those mistakes. And if he's up for the challenge, I think it's going to be a really good year uh, for the Lakers. Last thing I want to talk about: um, the team that could upset the apple cart, the team out there that will surprise you by. January 1st or even by the all-star break. I'm going to go first on this one. I'm going to bring up the Pelicans here because we all know how good the Pelicans were at the start of last season, 22 and 13 before Zion Williamson goes down with a season ending injury. They just cratered after that. The numbers were terrible. They just couldn't figure out uh, how to make it work with Zion on the lineup. Zion, Zion is back. Looks healthy for now. They're experimenting with him a little more at center, which I think is a good idea uh, by Willie Green and that coaching staff. You've got Brandon Ingram, who I think is going to take another step forward this year. You've got C.J. McCollum, who's not the picture-perfect fit, I think, along those two guys, but he's an experienced guy who can make shots, and that's what you want. When they're healthy, you know, they've got some guys that can defend. I think Herb Jones is you know, one of the better wing defenders uh, in the league. If he can continue to improve his shot, he's going to be valuable for that team. And look, when I talk to coaches, Jason, like when they talk about the most difficult guys to guard in the NBA, Zion is either first, second, or third on that list every single time, you know, because you don't know who to put on him. He's so strong. He's so athletic and he has so many different moves when he gets the ball in isolation. He's one of the best isolation players in the NBA. Number one or number two last year at isolation points per game, number one or number two in isolation field goal percentage average, like 19 points in the paint last year. And a lot of those shots came, you know, off dribble drives and off possession that started outside the paint. I think that this Pelicans team, if they can just keep their guys on the floor, I think they're in for a big year. I think Zion is just coming back is going to give them a big boost. I think he and Ingram are as good a kind of one-two punch offensively when it comes to isolation touches that you're going to see in today's NBA. So I think the Pelicans, when we get to like mid-January, you're going to see them sitting like second or third in the Western Conference. You're going to be looking around and go, wait, the Pelicans are ahead of the Lakers? The Pelicans are ahead of the Clippers? I think the Pelicans are poised for big things. Yeah, they, it, it, the Zion thing is funny because if you go back through NBA history and recent NBA history, it's always like Giannis and LeBron at the top of the league of restricted area makes. It's Giannis, LeBron, LeBron, Giannis, whatever it is. The healthy Zion years, he's always like even above those guys. Like mm-hmm. it's crazy. There's, there's, we really haven't seen a player in this era that can get to the basket the way that he does. And it's really kind of brute force. Like they'll just go five out or four out one in and clear the side. And it's like, he just is ripping through to his left or doing a hard jab step and going to the right. And he's actually an amazing passer too. So he can like make the kick out passes and dump off passes out of those uh, possessions and having him back is just going to bring that offensive firepower that they don't have because CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram just don't really pressure the rim all that much. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, CJ McCollum was dealing with like a shoulder thing and a wrist thing last year that was affecting his shooting down the stretch of the season. He's apparently healthy and ready to go. Trey Murphy, obviously, you didn't mention him, but like he's uh, he's going to miss the beginning of the season because of his meniscus. Up, yeah. yeah, but like he's a guy that has the potential to be like a real scoring threat for them as well. The one thing that freaks me out with with the Pelicans is just the center position. And I like Jonas Valanciunas. I genuinely do. But like he's such a weird change of pace from everything else that they do. And, and But he's such a dominant regular season player as an offensive rebounder and as a post-up guy that it's hard to just be like, you know, let's move on from this or let's go in some other direction. But I always just see when I think about like the big picture version of this team, 
I see, you know, CJ with like Trey and Herb with BI and Zion. And like, mm-hmm. you've got to take one of those guys out and you've got to get some sort of real legitimate rim protecting center in there to really reach their ceiling. But I, I do believe that they have a lot of, of regular season potential. And I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if they went up a level. The team that I look at is Minnesota. I, wow. uh, I th- okay. I think, <laughs> You're buying think- into the Timberwolves. Okay. <laughs> I have, uh, they have a specific, there's, it really comes down to two things for me. One, they have like a a very unique combination of elite perimeter defense and elite rim protection, which I think you really saw come to the surface towards the tail end of last season, especially when Cat was out of the lineup and they were playing a lot of, of Kyle Anderson at the four. But Kyle Anderson is like one of the better, bigger forward defenders in the league. Jaden McDaniels is a bona fide top tier perimeter defender like he's what like if you're listing the top five perimeter defenders in the league he's on there somewhere and he's probably pretty close to number one right like Nikhil Alexander Walker is one of the better perimeter defender guards in the league Anthony Edwards has his issues off the ball and obviously he can uh, wax and wane in terms of his effort but when he turns it on he like straight up puts dudes in jail and then you're putting all those guys next to Rudy Gobert potentially the best uh, rim, you know, depending on who you ask, but I, I don't think he's the best, but he's in that top five, you know, drop coverage bigs that we have in the league. And so like from that standpoint, I love the defensive potential that they have. Obviously there's the, the, the Carl Towns fit and how that all plays out over the course of the season. But the second big piece is Anthony Edwards. I had him at 15 in my player rankings before team USA. And I got a lot of crap for it because people thought I was jumping the gun. And I don't think he's going to go win a title this year or anything. But I really do believe that he's in a position this year to have like a top seven MVP finish, maybe even top five. I think he's got that type of potential. And so if you put yourself, if you get a top 10 player and you get a bona fide MVP candidate, you're going to win a lot of regular, or excuse me, a top 10 defense and a, mm-hmm. and a bona fide MVP candidate, you're going to win a lot of regular season games. So I have a feeling you that... Think, you, t- think, you think they're a top 10 defense? If they could be a top 10 defense, Jason, I'm with you. But I mean, that's asking a lot. For and that that's asking Rudy Gobert to be the Rudy we saw during his prime years in Utah. I think he's gonna have to do a lot of work when Edwards, as you point out, is not always checked in, and Mike Conley is not gonna become a better defender as he gets a little bit older. I, th- mm-hmm. That that's the part that worries me a little bit. Yeah, and that's totally fair. And like there there definitely are questions. The Conley thing is the Conley thing. I I he really helps on offense because he's kind of the grown up in the room when Ant yeah. is a little uh, when Ant starts to that lose part I agree with yeah bit. yeah. And and then and then Carl Towns, it's just a weird fit because like you'd see him in preseason or or obviously when he's playing in FIBA, when he's got the keys to the offense, he can be pretty good, but he can really drift in and out of games when Ant is involved. And so there's definitely some stuff that they're going to have to work out. I j- I just genuinely believe in the Ant, Jaden, Rudy trio, and then with Kyle and when you're rotating in Nikhil Alexander Walker and Kyle Anderson. Just your best scoring wing is always facing an outstanding big wing defender. And your best guard is always facing an outstanding guard perimeter defender. And, you know, and then you add Rudy into the mix. So, like, I, I just, I do believe they're going to be a top 10 defense this year. We'll see. Again, like, the, these are, it is a hot take, I suppose. But I, that they're just a team that, they're a team that, I, I'll, I'll just, I'll just say this. When I was watching the end of the season last year, the last third of the season, they were the most impressive defense to me that I saw. I I couldn't believe how often I'd be watching a random game on a Tuesday night and just watch Jaden and Ant just put the opponent in jail in the fourth quarter of a close game. Like it's crazy what those two can do on the perimeter. Yeah, um, they were top ten. They were top ten last year in defensive rating, right there at tenth. They were uh, top fifteen, I think, the year before. That was when Chris Finch was 
basically using smoke and mirrors to to get things done defensively. That was a weird defensive with D'Lo out there. Yeah, yeah it was they they were trying a whole bunch of different gimmicky stuff uh, uh, the year before. I, you could be right about Minnesota. I'll put it this way: I think Minnesota. I think you're either dead right on Minnesota or you're dead wrong. I don't think there's anything <laughs> in between. I think you're either gonna you're either gonna be dead right on them or like Carl Towns is gonna be a member of the Miami Heat or the New York Knicks or somebody else by midseason. I think that's kind of the only. Are those way. the two teams you see? Uh, what have you been hearing about? Cat? I think there's like, a lot of teams planning out on there. Them? It, uh, they're planning on keeping them, but they're also planning on being good. So, like, if if they're not good, uh, and there's a better deal out there for them, uh, I think they'll do it. Look, their teams, as we well know, keeping their powder dry for these big stars. The Knicks have not traded assets or draft picks in a while. The Nets are out there with assets and draft picks. The Miami Heat still have some assets and draft picks um, and some young players that they could deal as well. And and Towns is one of the reasons why. I mean, Joel Embiid is probably the biggest reason why teams are watching that situation unfold as close as they can. But Towns is also the guy with multiple years left in his contract, a tremendous offensive player. I'm interested to see it, man. Like, you know, Rudy and Towns, like a Rudy and a, yeah, yeah. Rudy Gobert and Carl Towns, like two seven footers, basically out there on the floor. (laughs) I think you oh, only I go two that. ways. All the lineup data was bad. All the lineup data <laughs> when the two were out there was bad. But like when one of them was out there without the other, they actually were pretty good. And, and that's the predicament yeah. they're gonna have to figure out. You know. But this is like you know I remember going back to last season before the season and when I was talking to scouts for for SI. Like one thing they kept saying was like, "Is Chris Finch gonna have the Cayones to keep?" A and how much is Rudy making per year? Like thirty million dollar per year player on the bench in the final six minutes of the fourth quarter. Like, is he going to yeah. be willing to do that? Because that's the only way they can be successful. I don't think they can win with Towns and uh, and Rudy out there together in crunch time. I, I don't know. You probably know those numbers a lot better than I do, but I would imagine they're either not good or they're not going to be good. You know, during the season because that that's too easy to take advantage of defensively. I think you can lean in one direction or the other. That's the other direction you could go is you could flip go bear. Cause like one, one of the best ways to protect the rim. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But like the, the, one of the best ways to protect the rim is to guard the perimeter. It's, 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 it's quickly because of the spamming of pick and roll and driving kick basketball as teams have gone more towards four perimeter players in a big perimeter defense has become one of the most important elements of defense these days. And Mm -hmm. you could get away with that with Carl, but like, like we talked about Carl's trade value. I can't even imagine what Rudy Gobert's trade value would be. Although he's a, he's a, he's a guy that I'd love to see in uh, new Orleans. I'll I'll tell you that. (sighs) Yeah, maybe, but I look. Put it this way: <laughs> put the the Timberwolves couldn't get Walker Kessler back straight up from Utah for Rudy Gobert. Like that's oh. much less the five first rounders they attached to Walker Kessler in that deal, which has the potential potential to go down as one of the worst <laughs> trades uh, in NBA history. Catch Jason Timp every night during the NBA season hoops tonight, right here on the volume. Jason, good to catch up, man. Always appreciate your time. This was fun. Looking forward to next time. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.